From WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Our connection this hour was made in Buffalo, New York, where a boy was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Michael Israel was 12 years old when he was told he had a severe form of the inflammatory bowel disease. Throughout the next six years, he would have multiple surgeries, with doctors prescribing him hydrocodone, Xanax, and Cymbalta, among 18 other drugs for his chronic condition. Over time, Michael, like many people, became addicted to the medications. He told his father, Avi, that he knew he had a problem. According to his father, when he told the surgeon about the challenges Michael was having, the surgeon politely dismissed them. In 2011, after another surgery and more prescriptions, Michael was down under 100 pounds in weight. He was 20 years old. Michael asked to be taken to an inpatient treatment facility, but because his insurance wouldn't cover it, he was only able to stay for five days. It wouldn't be the last time Michael was denied life-saving treatment. And the rest of Michael's story is now being told by his father, Avi, who has become a fierce advocate for people like his son. He founded a nonprofit organization called Save the Michaels of the World. He has testified in front of the U.S. Senate Drug Committee. He has spoken on behalf of patients and families across the state. Avi Israel was a guest of a statewide television forum recently hosted by WXXI. He says he does not mind being blunt. He has a lot to say about the overdose crisis, how it's viewed, efforts to mitigate it. He's also a powerful advocate for people struggling right now with addiction. And I want to make sure our audience knows that as Avi tells this story, uh, it can be hard for people to hear. We will be talking about suicide. We will be talking about very, very difficult issues related to addiction. And I hope that the words of Avi Israel will be direct and also give us a chance to understand the landscape today and where we go next. So we've invited Avi to come to Connections, and he is with us now, the founder and president and CEO of Save the Michaels of the World. Avi, welcome to the program. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to say this multiple times this hour, but listeners, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, you can find resources in a number of different places. Um, and Avi has a lot to say about the state. Oasis does want you to know uh, that go to, if you go to oasis.ny.gov slash projectcope, they've got resources there. Oasis is O-A-S-A-S. You can also call or text the Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight hope ny It's available 24-7. And there are organizations like Save the Michaels of the World that you're going to learn a lot more about this hour. Um, Avi, you know, when we first talked, uh, I was gripped by your painful and powerful story. And for a lot of our listeners, this will be new to them. I want to give you as much space as, as you need to, to tell people, first of all, what happened. Well, uh <laughs> You know, first of all, I, I want to say this uh, so everybody understands. This is really not about Michael. There's not much that we can do for Michael and many, many other kids. As you said, Michael um, was diagnosed with Crohn's, and uh, we have a system, a healthcare system in our country that uh, when it comes to mental health and addiction, it's a completely different uh, care. This is something that you need to get permission. This is something that uh, it's not accessible. This is uh, so hard to navigate. Almost 12 years ago when uh, Michael needed help, there was none to be had. The conversation was not as it is today. And um, to many people, 
including myself and, and my wife, Julie, uh, we were not aware of all the obstacles that are in the way. And uh, when people told us, okay, well, you, we're not given, we're not going to give you a treatment or we, we denied the treatment, we kind of like went away. And and then we and then through my daughter, who is a social worker, we found out yes that we can uh, ask for treatment, which we did. But uh, the system is so broken. The system is all about money. The system is all about making money. And um, when Michael asked for a bed, it was June fourth of two thousand eleven. Uh, he was denied. What, what kind of a bed? He wanted an inpatient bed. He wanted to go to inpatient. Outpatient was not working for him. He did not connect with his counselor. His counselor was, and I really don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but it was old-fashioned counselor that her way of treatment was tough love, which is an oxymoron as far as I'm concerned because love can never be tough. And then change the locks on your door. He's going to steal from you. He, Michael, never stole anything. When Michael died, his his uh, iMac was still there. His camera was there. His uh, his iPhone was there. Everything that was worth money was there. He never sold it. Michael really wanted help and did not want to be addicted. But it, you know, when he called on a Saturday morning, it was a cloudy Saturday morning, and asked for help, it took her five minutes and 47 seconds to come back and say, there's no bed. I don't know that I can tie my shoes that fast. I don't know, the, you know, I don't know if there was, if she could have, maybe she could have said some other words that will inspire Michael to wait until Monday, or something along the lines, or anything to give the kid a hope. What she did at that moment, take any hope that Michael had away from him. And without hope, we can't live. So he went back into the bedroom and, and, and made a permanent decision to a temporary problem and put a shotgun under his chin. Um, I, 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 don't, I, I don't want to get emotional again because it's, it's hard to tell this story, but it is hard. It is devastating. It is a nightmare to watch your kid all over the walls. And... and um, to listen to him struggling to breathe, and then to hold him and, and hear his last breath. And and, uh, and it was not necessary. He could have gotten the help he needed, and uh, he didn't. And what did you say to him in those moments? I remember you, you mentioned your, your words to him when you held him. I said, it's going to be okay, Michael. Everything is going to be okay. I love you. And then took his last breath. And uh, uh, 
I had to I had to get my wife out of the room so she would not see his face. Um, I asked her to go out to the street and wait for the ambulance, but I knew that Michael was dead. And um, it's a picture that I see every night. I want to ask about the when you say that it took five minutes and 47 seconds to say, nope, no bed, no chance, and, and with no other pivot to, but hang in, we're working on it, we can work. What, what is confusing, uh, there's many things in this story that are tragic and confusing to me, Avi, but um, your son had survived a previous suicide attempt. Yes. And, and why would the system that purports to serve him and help him not recognize that if he's asking for a bed again after having survived a previous suicide attempt, that they need to do everything in their power to know how dangerous the situation was. Because we have a broken healthcare system in this state. Uh, so the first suicide attempt was May 17th, and that was uh, it was at the CPAP unit, psychological unit at, at Erie County Medical Center. Office of Mental Health does not have conversation with Oasis. So what I mean by that, everybody, everybody is siloed, okay? So you have the Office of Mental Health, that's one silo. You have Oasis, which deals with addiction, that's another silo. You have the Department of Health, that's another silo. You have the Office of People with Disability, that's another silo, okay? None of them, none of them in this damn state talk to each other. And you know who suffer? You and I and the people who need help. Every single person in this country, in this state, who suffers from addiction has also mental health issues, whether it's depression, whether it's PTSD, whether it's anxiety, that comes with the territory. But when you go to treatment, there's no mental health. So that counselor knew what happened on May 17th. And rather than say something, Michael, hold on, uh, I'm going to see if I can find another place. Let me make another phone call. Let me see what hap if I can get you another bed. Instead, it was, you know what? It's just another junkie. And, and I'm saying it on purpose, Evan. I'm saying it because I've heard it many times. For that language? Yeah. That language. It's just another crackhead. It's just another pothead. It's just another junkie. I don't really care. He's ruining my Saturday. You know, if you're going to take a job in the healthcare system, you better have some compassion. Otherwise, go sell shoes. Don't, don't, don't get in there to help people. Has it changed much? Not that much. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Okay. When you have over 6,000 people die in New York State, and we are sixth in the nation when it comes to suicide, 
That's not happening. You, your organization is Save the Michaels of the World. Tell us when you decided to, to create that organization and, and what the mission is. Well, um, Michael died on Saturday. He was buried on Tuesday. And on Thursday, I called the Buffalo News and I wanted to, t I wanted to give him an interview. And that's when it started. And what I wanted to do is let the people know that there is a danger in consuming opiates that the doctors don't talk about. Um, They're starting to talk more about it, aren't they? They are. But that was because of a, a legislation that we passed yeah. uh, uh, right after Michael died. So uh, I gave Michael the interview, and, and then the floodgate just opened up because uh, we were not alone. Julie and I were not alone. There were thousands and thousands of people suffering and are still suffering in this state from addiction. Uh, pharmaceutical companies were making billions. I mean, that's been on the record. We all know what's going on with that. And... Um, services were not available. So I wanted to let people know that, you know, you're going to take these pills. You are going to get addicted. And if you're looking for help, you're not going to find any help. And the, the doctor who prescribed you those pills doesn't know how to help you. Because when you go to medical school, basically you get about a couple of hours of addiction and how to help anybody with addiction. And that's nothing. That's, that, that doesn't teach you anything. One of the things that we've discussed on this program over the years is the, the slow but now I think quickening movement away from opioids unless as a last resort for pain so, you know, your, your son had Crohn's disease. He had gone through a lot with it. And his addiction was hydrocodone. Is that correct? Hydrocodone, oxycodone, okay. Xanax. There's a plethora. Yeah. Of, uh, and we know the drug companies in the early 90s when these medications were really kind of gaining steam on the market, they lied about how addictive. Yes. They flat out lied. That's on the record. Um, so, you know, when we've had these conversations, Avi, I hear sometimes from... Listeners who say, look, I take, you know, whatever medication that's in the opioid family. I'm not addicted. I'm aware of, of that many people can become addicted. I'm grateful for what they do for me. You know, don't take them away from me. As an advocate now, what do you want to see change in terms of how they're prescribed, whether they're allowed to be prescribed, how we deal with pain? You know, there is a place for opiates in our society and in healthcare. But the question is not, is not saying I'm not addicted. If you want to know if you're addicted or not, try to stop. That's the test. Now, everybody can take them and behave normal. There's uh, adults that can take them and behave normal. And as, as you become addicted, you take them to be normal because the, the pain and... and Everything that comes with addiction happens when you don't have the pill. So 
to get back to what I was, to what I was saying is uh, there's people with cancer. There are people with uh, deadly diseases that can take those medication. And it's really, it was designed for the end-of-life medication. It was not designed to treat pain like back pain or anything like that. That doesn't do anything for the inflammation in your back or the pinched nerve or anything like that. That doesn't help you with that. What it does is fool your brain into thinking that there is no pain. You're better off t taking other, other analgesic medicine over the counter that can help you or mix them together. Uh, but to say that, you know, do I want to see opiate completely out of the market? Absolutely not. You're saying they have their place. It should be they limited. Have, it sh have their place. should be limited. It should be under control. It should be for a short period of time. Yeah. And, and then, you know, there's a lot of things that people don't know. Once you start taking opiates, you are more sensitive to pain. You become more sensitive. I can touch a hot uh, uh, glass and, and be okay, and a person that takes opiate cannot do the same thing. There's a more sensitivity to pain. Uh, in a moment here, we're going to talk about how Avi sees the way, for example, New York State— has dealt with this issue, um, what he'd like to see change. But I want to read a letter that Avi brought to the program today that's dated March 1st of this year. So just a couple of weeks ago, this letter came addressed to the Save the Michaels team. And I'm going to remove all names from it, Avi. You can leave the kid's name. Okay. We, we can read the kid's names. Not We're not going to read the adult who's sending. Okay. No. So it says, Dear Save the Michaels team, my name is blank. I have been blessed in an abundant way from your services. I am beyond grateful to tell you that because of your efforts and your services, about two weeks ago, I was able to sign official court papers to have my two beautiful daughters, Izzy and Bobby, return to my care within the next 90 days. As tears pour down my face and my heart overflows with joy, joy beyond words, I thought to myself, I have to share this moment with the people that made it all possible. It's extremely hard to put into words how grateful I am for you all. May the peace of God be with you always. Julie and Avi Israel, Jessica, Tom, Danielle, and Jonathan, you are all directly responsible for this reunification. And so we thank you in the most profound and deepest way possible. You have given me my children, and I thank you so very much. Every day, you're honoring the son of Julie and Avi Israel, and I commend you for being so selfless and giving when you've lost so much. It's the most profound and beautiful true story I've ever heard, and I thank you for doing all that you do at Save the Michaels. It's breathtaking. God is blessing you sevenfold. All of our love. What does that letter mean to you, Avi? That's... I'm sorry. It's okay. I can't make it up to Michael. None of us can make it up to Michael and the thousands of other kids and people that died. But that letter and 
and hundreds like it that, that we get. It gives me a drive to get up in the morning and do it again. Uh, I'm 71 years old. I, uh, I never imagined my life spending the rest of my life doing this. But I, you know, uh, God had a different plan for me, and and uh, I can't make it up to Michael, but I can make it up to that young lady, and all the other hundreds and thousands of young ladies and young men who send letters like that. That gives us all the drive to keep on doing what we're doing. I'm not usually a superstitious person, but what was your son's nickname? Izzy. One of the two daughters mentioned as being saved by your organization, and this is named Izzy. I know that hit you, didn't it? Yes, it did. (laughs) That's why you're doing it, man. Like, this is incredible. It's incredible. It's a a beautiful letter. Um, It's a beautiful letter, but... For people who are hearing this going, well, what exactly, you know, how are you helping families that are struggling to find the help? So what does your organization do? So I tell my people, all the folks that work at Save the Michaels, you have five minutes and 47 seconds to help that person. Oh, boy, yeah. So remember, when you get a call, you only have five minutes and 47 seconds to change a life and to keep a person living. We don't have an answering machine. We, you don't leave a voicemail. We make sure that a real person answered the phone. And that person that answered the phone happens to be Carol, who is wonderful. She listens, she, she takes information of what the problem is or what do you need, and she directs you right to the right person. And the right person is a peer, somebody who lived that, who's going to put you in ease right away. And the first thing that they're going to tell you is that there is hope and don't give it up. And, and then we ask you what, you what would you like us to help you, how would you like us to help you? And what if they say, I need a bed. We can't get a bed. You've been there. Yeah, we get you a bed. You find a way? We get you a bed. Most people that call Save the Michaels are in the bed within 48 to 72 hours, if not sooner, if not the same day. They never get turned away. They never get, they never get told, well, call me back on next Tuesday. Or call me back on Monday, whether it's Saturday or Sunday or whatever it is. There's always somebody that's it's ready to help you. And uh, once we find you a bed, and and then you if you are ready to go, then we transport you. And we have a great transportation system that is funded by New York State. One of the good things that they do. And uh, we work out with just about every treatment provider in New York State, including 12 uh, treatment facilities that uh, are owned by New York State. 
And um, how far away do you go? All the way to New York City, from Pennsylvania to New York City. Uh, and uh, we get your bed. While you are in treatment, we have a peer that will call you to make sure that you're okay. And a lot of people have change of heart. A lot of people will say, well, I can't, ha I, I, I hate the food in here. I want to leave. How about if I bring you some food? Uh, I don't have enough clothes. Uh, there's, there's no basketball court over here. <laughs> you, you name it, there's excuses that come up. And the reason is because a person is afraid. You know, it's not that they don't want to get better. But it is, is they're afraid to give up the drugs. It's painful to give up a drug, okay? It's, it's, it's also breaking a habit. So we try to keep you in the place, and if you don't like it there for whatever reason, we will find you another place to go to and drive you there. And once you get out, we try to help you with what we call wraparound services, which is... Make sure you have appointment for counseling. Uh, make sure you are connected to uh, groups, which we have um, about 59 different groups. Make sure that we get you the right housing and find you housing, uh, which is really, really tough right now. And hopefully we get you out of that the same environment that you came out of because one, if you put a person back in the same environment, there's a real good chance that you go back to using. So you're going to get the support that, that you need uh, to uh, stay in remission. How many people are you working with on an annual basis, Avi? Oh, my God. Um, I would say there's somewhere around between peers and groups and families and uh, people are call. Uh, anywhere from ten to 15,000 people. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Avi Israel, who is uh, the founder, the president, and CEO of Save the Michaels of the World, based in Buffalo. Uh, you, will you help people from Rochester if they call you? I'll, I, I'll help anybody from New York State. Uh, if, and if we can help you, we'll find somebody in your area that will help you. Uh, what's the website for Save the Michaels of the World? Yeah. It's Save the Michaels of the World, uh, Inc. Okay. Uh, and so, listeners, if, if you call or get in touch, this is the process of how they try to help. Um, we've asked Avi to come on this program because he is one of the, he's one of the most well-known advocates in this state now. He lost his son to suicide after his son was addicted to painkillers, could not get the help that he needed could not get a bed. And if you're just joining us and you heard Avi mention that he gives his team five minutes and 47 seconds to turn things around on the phone, to take that call and to get an answer that is positive, that is hopeful. Um, the reason they said it at five minutes and 47 seconds is on Michael's phone, that was the length of, the, of time for his last phone call on the day that he died. He made that last call desperate for help and was quickly dismissed in a way that uh, Avi says his son lost hope. Um, so that's the target time. You can lose hope and you can lose a life in five minutes and 47 seconds, or you can instill hope and you can let people know that as hard as it's going to be, the resources are going to be there and there are people who love you and care about you. So that's what Save the Michaels of the World does. And after we take this only break of the hour, I want to ask Avi about the landscape of care across the state. He has 
um, rather strong views about what is happening in the state, where the resources go and where they don't go. We'll look at some of the numbers there, and we'll talk about what he thinks uh, could change that would make the system work better. That's the other side of this only break of the hour. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation about comedy, where the legal line should be on speech, and Lenny Bruce, the impact of a comedian, a stand-up comedian who died only at age 40, but a man who was uh, arrested for obscenity multiple times and tried to push the envelope. A new conversation is happening because of a show at the JCC, and we'll talk Lenny Bruce and comedy next hour. This is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. My guest is Avi Israel, founder, president, and CEO of Save the Michaels of the World, based in Buffalo, but doing work all across New York State, helping people with addiction and helping people find the resources they need, frankly, the kind of resources that his son Michael could not find before Michael died by suicide. Um, And a listener writes to the program and asks, who cares for the caregivers so they can give good care? How do we in the system better support those who support the people they love. What do you think? Well, uh, who cares for the caregivers? Uh, we do. We do. Uh, a lot of our folks and a lot of people who are made a career in this uh, field do go some through some tough time. Uh, we give them time off. We give them wellness time. Uh, and uh, we try to connect them with resources that uh, will help them. It certainly matters. I understand why the listener is asking. I don't know if the listener has sort of personal experience, but it can be taxing on families. It can be difficult. Yeah. It does. It does. And, and, and uh, you know, addiction affects the whole family. And there's a saying, we become addicted to the addict. And as a family, we do. Uh, we, uh, the system is so complicated that it's so hard for us to navigate the system. And, and that was one of the reasons why we started Save the Michaels is to really um, cut that red tape and allow you to get the help that you need. But besides taking care of the person who is suffering from SUD, we have a lot of help for families, for siblings, uh, for mom and dad, you know, how to act, what to behave, what to do. Because if you are not well, you can't help anybody. So we have a very robust programs to help parents and make sure that they get the right uh, help that they need. Uh, it, it's tough sometimes. It really is. Uh, you know, a lot of parents will call up, and uh, it becomes, um, I, I, I don't know what the right word to say it, and I don't want to uh, get in trouble saying something on on, on the radio, but it become a, 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 a complaining session. Okay. And, and that's okay, because you want to listen. But... Um, you know, you have to let, and it's hard for parents to disengage from a person that they love. It's also hard for parents to see the somebody that they love just going down the rabbit hole. Uh, and so we try to give them the help that they need. I want to read some stats that we had collected about six weeks ago. When it comes to 
how this state prioritizes um, the treatment facilities. So what's really remarkable to me is there are dozens of counties in this state, 32 counties by the stats collected by OASIS and the U.S. Census Bureau have no treatment beds. Now, I know these are rural, less populated counties, but they're also um, economically the poorest counties, and they've got high rates of abuse and addiction and need. And 32 counties, much of the southern tier, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. And then look at this here. If you just look at the top six New York counties when it comes to just treatment beds per 100,000 people in population. So the number one is Manhattan, 710 uh, per 100,000, 710 beds. Then the Bronx at 703. Chautauqua County is third per capita, but that's at 315. So the third ranked county has less than half the per capita beds as Manhattan. And Erie County comes in at number six, 240. So about a third of what Manhattan has. And they're sixth on the list out of like 50 counties. Monroe County is way down the list. So what I see is, I understand there's more people in New York City. I have no problem with that. That's where a lot of the the, the raw resources should be. But per capita, it's it's out of whack if you look at it that way. Well, let me get let me add some more to those numbers for you, uh, because as I told you before or off the air, we just had uh, the OPA board meeting uh, last Monday, and I sit on that board, and just to do my homework, there are nineteen. This is in New York City now, the five boroughs. There are nineteen free treatment facilities. 79 treatment facilities. I, I, I'm not really sure how many beds. Okay. 276 outpatient clinics. Uh, 97 detox facilities. That's all in New York City. There are 19 million people in New York State. 8.3 million people live in New York City. Almost 11 million people live in the rest of the state. We don't have as much, those kind of resources in the rest of the state. So ask, ask me why. <laughs> I know you're going to tell me. Why is it? Because everybody that wants to get any statewide office, if you want to get elected— you got to go kiss butt in New York City. So you're going to give them everything that they want. You're going to give them everything that they want. But you know what's what's really upsetting? And and this governor is doing the same thing. This commissioner is doing the same thing. Everybody's doing the same thing that everybody else prior to them or before them did. This governor's from Western New York. Uh, well, ask her how much did she spend in Western New York? But you know what? They forget there's a whole state west of the Hudson River, and it's called New York. And as far as I'm concerned, we do the same thing that everybody else does in New York City. We pay taxes. We live a good life. But when it comes to New York State, everything is run by New York City. We have a system for bail reform. In New York State, okay, it's not because of anybody in, in the rest of the state got locked up for 300 days 
without bail. No, it was at Rikers Island. So if you're going to do anything, punish Rikers Island. We have a system here that it goes by New York City, and at one time, bail reform helped us get people into treatment. When we all worked together, as you recall from the conversation with Dr. Gupta, if we all worked together, it was courts, it was public health care, it was everybody worked together, we lowered the overdose rate in this country, in this state. The overdose rate are going up like crazy because, and I know that for a fact, because uh, we drive people to court. We drive people to opiate court. Nobody's afraid anymore to be sanctioned because judges don't have jurisdiction. You know, uh, you can go and basically, short of really harming somebody really bad, you're going to go out the door. So there's a lot to contribute to what's going on in the rest of the state. And, and it's all because of we want to please the people in New York City or we want to please the politicians from New York City. So too much concentrated emphasis and power and priority there in your view. But when I look at just for the beds number as one example, and that's just one of many, many metrics, um, I suspect you would say, Avi, it's not that Manhattan needs less than 710 beds per capita per 100,000. It's that everybody else needs more. Is that is that where you, where you are in that? I I I think we want to have we want to give people the same amount of uh, respect that we're giving the folks in New York City. So, why is it that I that Saint Michael's have to drive all the way to New York City to get you a bed? Because there's excess of empty beds in New York City or downstate. So that's what we have to do is drive all the way out there. Why can't we just transfer those empty beds into rural areas? Why can't we, um, you said 32 counties don't have any kind of, of services at all. It, it, those are called desert counties. So if you look at, for instance, um, Niagara County, which we do a lot of work for. Yep. Right? It's a county that's under 200,000 people in the month of February. There were 47 overdoses with 10 fatal. Save the Michael was allowed, to, was, was able to take 10 of them to treatment. So there's 20 plus people who are not, who are going to go back and do the same thing again. Okay. Uh, why can we put some more beds in Chautauqua County? and Cattaraugus County, and, and uh, Allegheny County, and Monroe County, uh, you know, just about everywhere in the state. Uh, at the same time— They might say, we don't have the money. Oh, my God, that is such BS. We have money. We have money. We, so there's, there's, there's almost $2 billion 
that the opiate settlement is bringing into the state over the next uh, 16 to 18 True. years. True, and, 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 and the Oasis Commissioner on the program with you that we hosted statewide did say, it's not that she said, oh, we don't have the money, there's no more beds. She said, we are working on it, the money's coming, we are rolling it out, we are improving our services, that they are dedicated to doing better. When? So I remember saying her saying to me that, um, you know, she appreciate the passion that I bring into the table. Well, Commissioner, can I see some passion from you? Can I see some passion from these governor? Can I see some passion or urgency from Oasis? Can I see some urgency from this governor? The people who die in Niagara County, Monroe County, Allegheny County, Chautauqua County are just as good as the people in New York State, in New York City. Okay? There's 900 needle exchange programs, or what you would call OOPP programs, mm -hmm. okay, which helps you needle exchange, uh, fentanyl strips, and counseling, and so forth. There's over 600 in New York City, but about 300 plus in the rest of the state. Why? Are we not the same? Isn't this the same state? Okay, we just said it, we just sat down at, at opiate settlement and we asked how much money went out. It was supposed to be $120 million right. going out. Yep. She said that there was $96 million that went out. It's not. $64 million of that belonged to counties. It's not Oasis money. It's going through Oasis. The counties have not gotten it yet. You know, and as far as RFAs that, that went out, there was, there was uh, only $27 million. So requests for... Um, Application to create treatment or do something, only $27 million went out. Why aren't we using that? Why, aren't we, why don't we get some kind of urgency and get stuff out? You're not feeling the urgency? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, there's every week that my wife and I go to a funeral— I want to know if the governor does that. I want to know if the commissioner does that. I want to know if any damn person from any of the agencies go to a funeral. I want to know if anybody at Oasis at 1450 uh, Western Avenue in Albany ever took a person in the car to treatment. I did. Many times. We have people, the higher echelon that sits at Oasis on the fifth floor, have no idea what addiction is. You mean no experience up close? No to experience at all. Be, all they are is bean counters. That's all they want to know is count the money. So, so I'm going to put you in charge right now. You're in charge of Oasis. Day one, what's changing? What are you doing? I'm going to get access to everybody that needs treatment. I'm going to give people uh, naloxone to everybody that needs it. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give it over the counter. That's okay. day one. Mm -hmm. let, 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 me, let me tell you another thing. 
Okay. <clears throat> the first thing you obviously want to do is keep a person alive. And I'm going to do whatever I can to do that. And that means getting you more beds. That means getting you into treatment as soon as possible. That means giving you medication-assisted treatment. Unlike my son, who sat for three to four days on a bench without getting anything. You know, what, what we have is a system that uh, does not care very much about human life. You know, it's, 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 it's little people that sit in cubicles and read you uh, paragraphs from a book that tells you this is how you're supposed to do it. <laughs> it's not the same. You know, everybody that has addiction or mental health is different. What we try to do over here at Oasis or, or OMH or what have you is fit everybody into the same box. You know what we need in this state? right now, is a drug czar. We need a drug czar. Somebody that will break down the barriers and coordinate care to everybody that needs it. That means, you know what, you can still keep, you can still keep uh, the commissioners, they can still be there and play their roles and go down the openings or whatever it is that you want to do. But you know what? Get treatment to the people who need it. You know, when I, re when I reach out to Oasis and, and ask for help, the first thing that I hear is we don't have any money. You're swimming in money right now. Get it out there. You know, I, I, I send invoices to Oasis I get them sent back to me. You know what one of them was sent back for, Evan? I, by mistake, bought laptops for my people at Best Buy. By mistake, I, I thought that I was pushing a button of no donations. I pushed a button that says donation of $5 to St. Jude. That was rejected and sent back to me. And, and so it comes back. Uh, we have to redo the, the invoice, send it back. That has to be redone, okay, all over $5. I would say deduct the $5 and just say that's not eligible. I have an invoice that was sent for transportation. It was sent back and rejected because the person who reviewed the invoice said that, um, by the way, uh, you can't charge fuel onto this invoice. Well, it's a transportation grant. How do we drive the vehicles without fuel? All kind of stuff like that. Bureaucracy is killing access to treatment. I think part of Avi's point is if you had people who have actually experienced the kinds of loss that Avi had, and it doesn't have to be Avi himself, Maybe the urgency would be there, maybe more understanding of how to deal with the issue from not so far away from it. Um, before we lose the hour, I also want to ask you, when you started your work with Save the Michaels, fentanyl was not the issue that it is today. Um, would you say that fentanyl has complicated efforts, not as an excuse for Oasis or others, 
but do you think that the work is so much harder now because fentanyl is out there, it is killing people in bigger numbers, a lot of people don't know what they're getting when they're buying drugs, has that made the work harder? Absolutely. And that's, and that's, and that's why I ask for more urgency. You know, uh, you know. Let let's 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 break the law and and have safe injection sites. Let's create places like that. We have two of them in New York City that are thriving. Uh, I know that a lot of people say, "Well, you just promote drug use." No, we're not. It's all about keeping a person alive. Okay, that's all. And then gives you the opportunity to talk to them and, and try to get them into treatment. That's all it is. Uh, fentanyl is killing, killing people. But, and, and the other thing that I would say is this. Let's focus about why people go to use drugs. Nobody's, nobody wants to, to uh, talk get to, about that. Get to that. the root, yeah. yeah. Get to the root uh, of, of why people need to do that. You know, this, that's, that's, a, that's an issue. Uh, a listener says um, people at, at high levels of government not knowing anything about how, dealing with real addiction is like an FAA nominee who doesn't know anything about airplanes. That's what it is. Good analogy, isn't it? That's, that's exactly it. Uh, yeah. So in our last minute with Avi Israel, as we get ready to wrap here, what would you say to people who know someone, either themselves or someone they love, who is struggling with addiction and they feel there are barriers? You've been there. What would you say now? As I find out, first of all, what's available in your community, and don't give up. Don't go away. And if you can't get the help in your community, find other places that you can go to. Call Save the Michaels. We'll help you. Oh, 716-984-8375. Don't lose that number. Do it again one more time. 716 984 8375. If we can help you, we'll come pick you up and get you somewhere. Avi Israel is a father, and that is why he became the founder, president, and CEO of Save the Michaels of the World. He lost his son, Michael, to suicide after Michael uh, struggled with his own addiction issues uh, to painkillers. Michael had Crohn's disease. No one in his family would have guessed when he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease that that was the first domino that would fall that would lead to the end of Michael's life. But it was a system that would not be able to provide the resources that Michael needed. And so he ended his own life. But Avi is making sure that other families like his own um, know where to find those resources. So Save the Michaels is a resource that you can turn to. They're in Buffalo, but they're going to be happy to hear from you if you're in New York State, wherever you are. Um, And um, Oasis does tell you that that you can call them as well. Oasis.ny.gov slash Project Cope. There are resources, um, probably not enough, but I am grateful that Avi Israel is here to tell the story. Thanks for doing what you do, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Honored to have you. More connections coming in just a moment. 